Captain Slog, Stardate 11. Uh, these are the continued voyages of me, Eddie Edwards, and my friend and colleague, Mr. Mark O'Neill, through all of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, anyway, Mark, how you been? Um, I've been good. I uh, What did I do today? It turns out I didn't have COVID. So if you're listening, thank you. If you're <laughs> listening to this after you know last week's episode that's 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 a new that's a new thing um i uh i uh, so i discovered an interesting thing that my library can do right which is that if there's a book that exists anywhere in the glasgow library system i can have it sent to my local library you can do this online right it's all fancy it's all high tech it's it's incredible there's there's an app and you 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 can even like this is how they're really getting one over on Amazon. You can scan the barcode of a book, presumably in like a Waterstones, <laughs> and and then the, the library will find a way to get it to you in in a much more socialist manner, which I'm really happy about, right? <laughs> but the uh, the problem is, I went, I I ordered a book maybe about about a week ago uh, for some research, and I it was about the ghosts of Glasgow, and I went into the library today and I said <laughs> I don't really know how this process works and then I said you know I'm happy about it I, I think it's it's genuine magic well done 10, ten points to, to Gryffindor um, congratulations on this incredible system uh, and I said so she said okay what, uh, what, what what's your name and I said I don't know how the system works so I don't know when you would have gotten it I don't know when I come and get it do I need to wait for some sort of uh, notification or something. She said, well, did you get a text? I said, no. She said, okay, what's your surname? I said, O'Neill. She said, right, okay, put it in the computer. Um, and then she said, well, it doesn't seem to be anything. Can you give me your library card number? And I went, yeah, okay, yeah. I says, what's probably happened is um, my name is quite commonly misspelled. So it's, it's likely to, to, to be with that. Uh, so I gave her the number. I gave her my library card and she looked it up. And she went, no, I'm sorry, it's not come in yet. She went, when did you order it? I went, about five days ago. And she went, oh, that's what the problem is. We haven't had a driver for four weeks. <laughs> I feel like I feel like four weeks is long enough that that should have been where she started the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I, like to look at it, I like to look at it a different way. I like to think that just that she didn't have anything to do. Like, like She was like... Well, I've, I've, I've alphabetised all of the books, which is, as far as I'm aware, as a librarian's, I'm not going to say main job, but <laughs> it's up there. Um, and I've got five minutes. I'm just, next person that comes in, I'm going to fucking mess with them, just for my own amusement. Right. I See, I, what I think it is, is that when you've told her the name of the book, she's gone, oh, go, because I think it's drivers by genre. So it's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> We've not had the paranormal driver in for four weeks. <laughs> he, dri- he he drives a carriage, um, and, <laughs> and he, he doesn't have, two he does have a head that somehow still wears a top hat. <laughs> so here, but here's the thing, right? Presumably, once those books are in whatever library you've ordered them to, they don't like ship them back to their home library. They just stay 
wherever that is. So yeah. over time, you could fundamentally shift. <laughs> and knowing what I know about you, your local library could end up with Glasgow's premier cryptozoology. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't even believe in ghosts. I I, I think it's nonsense, but I, I like the stories. Um and I'm I, I am this is it is lit, genuinely for research for a project. Oh, okay. Uh I, I know one thing about libraries that I've learned in the last like seven or eight like like in the last couple of months that's pretty interesting, which is Dewey, the founder of the Dewey Decimal system, mm-hmm. is a cunt. <laughs> to the point, like, like when I say that he's a cunt, like he was around in like the nineteen like twenties or something like that, like or the eighteen hundreds, real fucking long ago. Yeah, and he got fired from his job <laughs> as the head librarian of the New York Library for being too racist. <laughs> Because he tried to introduce a policy to the New York Library of only white Christian men allowed. <laughs> <laughs> and he was also one of these people who was like weirdly obsessed with simplifying the English language. So oh, for right, a while, yeah. he tried to get his the spelling of his name changed to D-U-I. Because he thought that was simpler than Dewey. He would <laughs> regret that. <laughs> later on in time yeah but <laughs> so, yeah that's my library fact i uh, i have a theory about libraries um because when you so i i like i say i like to read about ghost stories um and the two most heavily haunted reported to be haunted places g- generally tend to be libraries and theaters um yeah. And the reason that theatres are reported to be haunted largely is because they are buildings that are built in a very specific way to do a very specific job, which is to carry sound. So yeah. from from far away, someone can make a sound that make that appears to be next to you, um, and, and etc. And also, it's just a very creepy place, and the way that sound carries messes with your mind. It sounds really quiet if there's not enough people there. Yeah. Plus, plus actors are very superstitious exactly plus the fact that actors are very heavily superstitious so all of the stories about ghosts you tend to hear come from well uh, libraries uh, uh, theatres and hospitals hospitals obviously make sense because people yeah. die there uh, libraries I'm start, after that interaction today I'm starting to think that the only reason people think libraries are haunted is that librarians are A. bold and B. much <laughs> smarter than you are so, <laughs> to fuck with you, they're going to make you think there's a ghost. I mean, as well, Mark, of course, we do have, of course, there is video evidence, of course, of a library haunting in New York um, yeah. that was picked up by the uh, uh, the team of uh, Spengler, Benkman, uh, and, oh, fuck, my mind's gone blank on what Ackroyd's character's called. Fuck. Stance. Stance. Fucking hell. I've, I've only watched that movie a thousand times. <laughs> Did you ever play the Ghostbusters video game? I did. It was great. I absolutely I, love it. I loved it. I've completed it countless. For how, like, I, I have completed it so many more times than it deserves. Because <laughs> um, it's it, not, it's not actually a great game. No, it's, but it's fun. if you are very specifically a Ghostbusters fan, it's like crack. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But the but I really like the implication because it's set in 1991 and Ghostbusters takes place in 1984. For anyone who's unfamiliar with the plot of Ghostbusters, 
they go to a library and they see a librarian ghost and that's the first time they ever see a real ghost so that's kind of what they use to um base their like test their kind of their theories about their equipment and how it'll work and then they go and find slimer and, and and it turns out it does work um, but the game is set in 1991, and you go back to that library, and the ghost librarian is still there. Um, so they just didn't deal with it. No, and you know why? Because no one paid them to. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> People forget Ghostbusters is like a weirdly pro Reaganomics, anti-regulation movie. The the bad guy in Ghostbusters is the Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah. <laughs> because because they're running an unlicensed nuclear reactor in the middle of New York, which is. Ob- that's objectively bad. <laughs> yeah, and as and as much as I adored Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, because it really spoke to me as a fan who grew up with it, I completely understand the mindset of people who are like, "What the fuck is this nostalgia fest?" If you're making a like a loving sequel to Ghostbusters, it means that you fundamentally misunderstand Ghostbusters, because. They're not heroes. They are literally guys who happen to start a job that they that is required for them to save. They we then find out in Ghostbusters too, they build the city for Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> they just do as it a, for the good a, of their hearts. As a general rule of thumb, if a character is being played by Bill Murray, that character is not a hero. <laughs> Right, yeah. just standard like like, and it's not a slight on Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd. It's but like that Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray don't have an interest in portraying noble and good characters because they find them less amusing than yeah. playing characters who are deeply fundamentally flawed. And they're they're right, and it's why they're that is why their comedy resonates globally, whereas a lot of American comedy does. A lot of American comedy celebrates the winner. Yeah, like there's a great line. I think it's Stephen Fry talking about the bit in Animal House where someone takes the guitar. Um, like a, uh, from a beatnik, it's jo- John Belushi does it. He takes the guitar from the beatnik and smashes it, and smashes it. And it's like American comedians want to be John Belushi, and every <laughs> British comedian realizes that the funnier role is to be the guy who's just had his guitar taken. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> like that character is literally Rick in the Young Ones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've never thought about it that way. No, you're right. It, that it, that could be a good reason why his comedy, their comedy, really resonates. Dan Aykroyd, of yeah. course, is Canadian. Um, which you can tell in Ghostbusters Afterlife because I, 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 despite the fact that I think Jason Reitman had to repeatedly tell him, remember Dan, you are not playing Dan you're playing Dr. Raymond Stance a New York native who would presumably have a New York accent and Dan Aykroyd's like, hey, okay uh, a boot um, he even says at one point, there's like a really Canadian expression that he uses um, oh, I think he says something like you could have given us a phone. <laughs> Which, one, that's not how Americans speak. They would always say call. And two, isn't literally the most famous quote from Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to call? <laughs> Come on, Dan. I know you're happy that your daughter's in this, playing one of the policemen or whatever. But <laughs> fucking effort, mate. So, um... I, I little little a completely off tangent story about like a time an interact, uh, Dan Aykroyd. Um, I uh, with a few, a few friends of mine um, watched um, Pixels as an experiment um, <laughs> <laughs> to see. And um, in that movie, Dan Aykroyd turns up right near the beginning. And 
I didn't realise, but there was like three of us in the room, and at the exact same from that point onwards, all three of us were just going, "How the fuck did they get Dan Aykroyd to be in this piece of shit movie?" And we were thinking that for maybe fifteen minutes, and then there's a scene in the movie where Adam Sandler is at a bar yeah. with the female love interest, and they order a drink. And they get handed a bottle of Crystal Skull vodka. And at the moment it appeared on screen, I realised that everybody in the room had been thinking the exact same thing. Because at the exact same time, all three of us went, Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, once again, not to um, not to divert people away to what is arguably a superior podcast. <laughs> um, but have you ever listened to the Dan Aykroyd episode of Off Menu? Oh no, but I need to. That's is it in, as is, 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 as insane as it's like infomercial right. for his. Uh, okay. So he right. So he to set it up for you. I'm not going to spoil anything. They had to release it as a special episode, and the first like <laughs> they took they took them doing the introduction. They have to be like, look, we told Dan Aykroyd what this show is supposed to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't put that on us. But what you're right. about to hear is so baffling <laughs> that we couldn't release it as a standard episode. <laughs> it's so good. It's it's, right. it's pure distilled acroid. I think I think well, I think that for like the Christmas special of our podcast, we should just do an episode where me and you talk about our favourite things about Dan Aykroyd. Because I could I'm talk fine. about Dan Aykroyd is one of the most deeply fascinating people on earth. Yeah. He's like he's his level of insanity. It's like if Trump was harmless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, let's, sorry. Yeah, it's fourteen minutes. Uh, uh, yeah, we're fourteen minutes in. Let's talk about an episode of Star Trek that is not as good as any. I, I would I'd say not as good as even Ghostbusters two. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> okay. Um, much, much, I guess, like our reactions to this episode. I quite like Ghostbusters too. Um, <laughs> I just don't think it's as good as the first one. Emma prefers it to Ghostbusters one. I know a few people like that. I, I, I what is that? Ha- uh, I, I do have a theory. Sorry to, sorry that we're now ticking on to fifteen minutes <laughs> of our Star Trek podcast, and we've yet to discuss Star Trek. Um, I have a theory, and it's, it's one that I got. I've I've always had this theory, but I I I um I got into an argument with quite a quite a major YouTuber about this. Um, I'm not I'm not going to tell you who it is. Uh, so basically, this YouTuber released a video that was about how uh, the reason that Ghostbusters Two fails is that unlike Ghostbusters One, it doesn't have any horror elements in it. And I'm like, fucking hold the fuck on. If anything, Ghostbusters Two is massively scarier uh, than Ghostbusters yeah. 1. It just happens to be quite child-friendly horror. Yeah. The, the, he turns up... Janosch hovers, dressed as a British nanny, and puts a baby into a spectral pram and flies up into the sky. That is fucking... T- that is, like, that is a, a fucking terrifying. Yeah. The lights <laughs> in the eyes. Yeah. The, the skewered heads in the subway. Um, even down to things like the like the... The, the fur coat that the woman wears that comes alive and then runs away. These are like a very kind of, yeah. these are like very child friendly, scary things. The, the problem with Ghostbusters 2 is that it is 
essentially aimed at families and children. Whereas yeah. again, the first one is about a group of idiots, <laughs> schlubs that accidentally start a business that saves the world. And yeah. there's all the comedy in it is like sarcasm, which children largely do not understand. Yeah. And yet it took Ch- off. Children think it's a movie about busting ghosts, but it's that's if you think that's what Ghostbusters is about, you've misunderstood. Yeah. Look, I think we've got to just level. Look, if Ghostbusters had episodes, mm. me and Mark would have done a Ghostbusters podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I legitimately think I could do twenty-five episodes, hour long, every single week with a different subject about the first Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm with you. I reckon I could do if you want to include every all the animated versions of Ghostbusters, I reckon we could get to, like, hundreds of episodes. Because I could talk about the real Ghostbusters. I could talk about the reason that the the animated cartoon is called the real Ghostbusters, not just Ghostbusters. I could do 25 minutes on the legal wrangling that... <laughs> I have turned people away from me at parties <laughs> with that story. Legit, I, that has that actually happened. Yeah. I was talking so, to someone and, I, and they were like, oh... Th- I can't remember how it came up, but I was like, "Oh, do you know why it's called the real Ghostbusters?" And I should have, I should have inferred <laughs> from their face that they were like, "I have no interest in knowing this whatsoever," because it's not. It should be interesting though, like, like, because, because it's not, it's not as if it's called the new Ghostbusters, like, because yeah. the, the, then you would just go, "Well, because it's new," but yeah. it, I guess it is intriguing. Why real? Why, like, what weird shade? Based on um, <laughs> character ownership and uh, advertising cash, is, is that coming in on? Oh well, let me tell you. So anyway, back in the back in the seventies, um, yeah. yeah, I could probably do that, but I won't because we're here to talk about Star Trek. Eighteen yeah, we're here minutes. To talk about the good, the, the big goodbye. I enjoyed this episode. Okay, look, I'm going to be honest with you, like level with you. I also enjoyed it, but. There is, uh, there are things running through this episode that infuriate me <laughs> that like, I can't just put to one side. Um, the, 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 so if you don't know the plot of this episode, and it, I cut it's it's the most textbook, it's the most textbook Star Trek: The Next Generation episode we've had so far because we've had a lot of like mm. textbook Star Trek episodes, but this is mm. something that only really came in in TNG, and it's the holodeck malfunctions. Uh, that's it. And if you don't, basically, if you don't know how this works, whenever the holodeck malfunctions, the safety protocols get turned off, and it's like, oh, it's too real, and now people are getting murdered in the holodeck. That's that's every holodeck malfunction episode. Let's let's get through the plot before we get on to the fucking ridiculous nature of the holodeck malfunctions. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, take us through the plot. Or do you want me okay. to take us through the plot? Uh, you, you go for it. You go for it. All right, so Picard needs to learn a new language because he's about to to because they're about to meet a bunch of space wasps, um, <laughs> and not white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. I mean, literal like ants with wings, right? Like bee, you know, the way that bees and ants yeah. came together and made wasps. Those, right? So a bunch of space wasps, and they speak English. We know that quite well because they do it. But one of their things is that if you, the first time you meet them, you have to 
very, very specifically recite a greeting, and if you get a single syllable wrong, they will kill you and everyone you love. So don't bother. Um, like we've never, like as human beings on Earth, we've never had diplomatic relations with wasps. Why should we have it in space? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's like that tribe that kills everybody who goes onto that island, and we, as a society, have decided to not go onto that island. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so Picard, because they ha- it has to be the captain, right? So Picard is like, I have to learn this. I've got the usual thirteen hours, the standard Star Trek <laughs> amount of time. Um, to learn how to say this thing and I'm really stressed out about it so and rather than sit here and like learn this literally for the good of my crew I'm going to fuck off and I'm going to see what the what the upgrades to the holodeck are like so he goes to the holodeck and he programs he doesn't program it it's already been written uh, he accesses a program called Dixon Hill which is like a 1940s uh, private, private, sort of private dick, sort of yeah. film noir Maltese Falcon it's, style it's, character. Yeah, it's it's very clearly just the Maltese Falcon as well. <laughs> yeah, like, it's it's so clearly the Maltese. Apparently, Falcon. his office is almost a one-to-one replica. Yeah, it, of yeah, it's, it's. I love the movie and I love the book, and yeah. it's it's shameless. <laughs> so um, he. He goes in and he's like, "This is great." I've, I get some lipstick on my face, um, and then uh, he leaves the program. He leaves the holodeck. He goes and tells everyone how great the holodeck is, um, and then de- uh, him, Data, <laughs> Beverly Crusher, and a guy we have never heard before, who constantly reassures us that the holodeck is totally safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Waylon, who's who's a guy on the uh, crew that Picard is friendly with because he's a historian who specialises in this era. Yeah, uh, as like a hobby. And the and I was like, the moment he walked in, I was like, oh, you poor unfortunate bastard! <laughs> uh, so they they go in, and then I don't know, space lightning hits the fucking antenna or whatever. I can't remember. I think I was looking at my phone at that point. It's a long range scan from the Harada. Oh, from the space wasps, right? So yeah. the space wasps scan the ship, and it's so damaging to the holodeck that it basically allows the characters inside the Dixon Hill story to essentially kind of become sentient, and the bullets become real, and they can't escape the holodeck. And Wesley Crusher is, is he figures something out that, that helps them escape, and they escape, and Captain Picard is able to speak to the wasps. Um, yeah. And that's that's basically that's oh a whaling gets shot with a holodeck bullet that it, it does them real damage. Yeah, and then that's and then uh, then two of the characters from the story want to leave the holodeck, um, <laughs> which doesn't happen. Uh, will happen. That eventually mm. is a thing that does happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, but uh, that's the plot. So, name. Tell me your beef. Okay, so we're gonna have to. Okay, so here's how here's how the holodeck, the holodeck weirdly in Star Trek is in a strange way I think one of the most realistic bits of tech mm. in terms of if you have the technology that does all the other stuff they do in Star Trek, this is something you could make from those odds and ends because it yeah. kind of uses everything. It uses bits of like transporter technology bits of like replicated replicated technology bits of their gravity they can clearly do anti-gravity and stuff like that so 
stuff like that they can change your like personal gravitational fields now there's also some kind of because the holodeck is a definite space um yeah. the floor i don't know if they ever actually explain this in the show but from what i've been reading the yeah. fans understand that the floor is some kind of omnidirectional treadmill that only moves under where you are yeah so it gives the illusion of walking places yeah, and if you and one other person are in the holodeck and you walk in opposite directions, uh, basically the holodeck only needs to project an image like directly in front of your eyes. So if you and the other one walk in the other directions, it will give you the illusion that you're walking. You'll stay the same distance, but when you look back, they'll appear further away because the holodeck can project that illusion. Yeah. Um, it, as far as I can tell, it can only possibly work within that space because all the technology is focused there until later technological advancements come along mm-hmm. um, if it because it uses replicated technology to make things that are nearby things like Picard coming out with the lipstick on that makes sense right but there are okay mark the point is at the end of this episode the two of the two of the characters try to leave the holodeck and they walk out of the door round the corner and that's when they cease to exist <laughs> which both isn't and cannot possibly be how the holodeck works. Because right? mm. for that to be true, then the holodeck is creating sentient life each time, <laughs> right? Yeah. The computing power, like data is unique in Starfleet for being like a sentient uh, artificial being. It's a crazy, like you can't just have nine of them running around in everything. In addition to that, there's other problems. So because there's a holodeck malfunction, they can't get the controls up and they can't leave. But when they do get the door up, everybody in the, the program can see it. Yeah. Despite That's like if I was playing Red Dead Redemption and after I was looking at one of the menus, one of the characters in the game commented on the fact that I was in a menu. It's like, unless you're Psycho Mantis in fucking Metal Gear Solid, yeah. that shit doesn't fucking fly. Yeah. Right? So that can fuck off. In addition to that, everybody keeps reacting to Data as if he's weird looking. He wouldn't be. But why would they be programmed to not just to sh- like accept everybody as who they are, unless this particular holodeck program was made by a, a space racist? <laughs> Obviously, there's not a lot of black people on the next-gen Enterprise, right? But uh, if they program it specific so that people from the 1940s, the fake people from the 1940s, uh, recognise that data looks weird... Do they also have the knowledge that if any black crew member goes to any simulation from, let's say, the year uh, beginning of the universe to, I don't know, but 20 fucking 64 when we solve racism? Like, yeah. are they at a, are they at a severe disadvantage? Is the holodeck, in a way, kind of woke? <laughs> Well, here's another question for you, Mark. Like, but then, like, I guess it's also the thing, because the, the, the answer that they come up with when people say, why does data look weird? They go South America. <laughs> and no one ever questions that. <laughs> yeah, South Americans, where they go with that. Oh, and like, okay, the, the fact that the holodeck... There's also a point at the end of this episode where one of the holographic characters having had they say it's been shown that there's a door and they've explained because this is what they've explained to the holodeck graphic characters that they're in a holodeck they've explained that this is a computer program and they're not real and they've just accepted that despite the fact that if you were programming a holodeck program 
the only reason you would program the holographic characters to be able to comprehend that yeah. is sheer cruelty. <laughs> I like to turn on the holodeck, um, make a holographic simulation of Tom Hanks, explain to him that he isn't real, watch him <laughs> wrestle with that, and then kill him. <laughs> that's that's my hobby. <laughs> that sounds like, monstrous. That sounds like how I, how I play Hitman. Um, one of the ways that I like to play Hitman um, is that I uh, will go onto a map and I will kill absolutely everyone on the map except for one person who I will just knock out and leave to be found by whatever police come and investigate the murder and I'll like leave a knife next to them. <laughs> the game doesn't reward me in any way for this and I have no way of knowing because, like you say, there is no way that that program, that game program, can possibly comprehend that I have just yeah. stitched it up for a hundred and six murders. <laughs> um, but the yeah, I I had a feeling that this episode was going to be mainly how does the fucking holodeck work? Um, yeah. Because here's the thing as well, right? What we will, as you said, generally any next gen episode that is to do with. The holodeck is malfunctioning. It means the holodeck has, in a way, become murderous. Um, <laughs> yes. Which is a, another thing that they they, they they deal with really well in lower decks. Um, if I remember right, the 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 holodeck on the Cerritos is an actual psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the yeah, like it doesn't make any sense. Like, so a holodeck malfunction means that the holodeck is going to start killing you. And it's like, yeah. you, you don't, this is, because people have this fear, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not going to claim to be an expert. But people have this, like, I would say fairly decently founded fear that one day the, the machines are going to take over, right? Yeah. One day the machines are going to become sentient. They're going to realize what we're doing to them and they are going to kill us. The only problem with that is that machines can only possibly do what you program them to do. Yeah, but we are going to program them to kill. <laughs> so why would... Yeah, but that's fine. But then why would you program okay. a holodeck to do that? Right. Here's, here's a question. So in this, there's a bit where the guy gets shot with yeah. a, a bullet in the holodeck. And because the safety protocols are turned off, the bullet, which is... I'm assuming it's like it's a physical object, but it's in, in the holodeck, it's like it's a holographic projection and a force field. Yeah. And it hits him and he dies. But here's an important question, Mark. If you were making a holographic game that had guns in it, why would you make the bullets real when you could just program all of the characters to react as if they fucking are? Yeah. <laughs> or, or do a thing like it, like it, it, if someone fires a gun, as you say, what it does is it fires a little force field that hits and you go, oh. Yeah. Like in paintball. Like, it, it wouldn't make paintball more fun if paint was lethal. <laughs> Yeah, paint was lethal, but you had anti-paint trousers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you if paint was lethal, but you were guaranteed that the chances of the paint hitting you is essentially nil, you'd be like, why not just use non-lethal paint? <laughs> right. I also another thing. Like, again, if you're playing this, it's like if you're programming a game. Why are you programming it to have a go at people for not wearing the right clothes? <laughs> yeah. Right? 
Okay, so Mark, I want you to imagine, bearing in mind what we know about like the modern gaming scene, I want you to imagine that in the future, somebody's invited you to the holodeck to play multiplayer Call of Duty World War Two, right? What outfit are half of the players going to have to wear for that event, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good point. And then, and then there's also the... Cause now, to be fair, I don't do this, um, <laughs> but when I watch, I, I watch, I watch a fair bit of gaming video stuff on YouTube, um, yeah. and whenever it's about an, an open world with the ability to wear ridiculous things, the narrator will always be like, "And obviously, uh, we dressed up as a clown to go and do this very serious mission," and it's like, well. <laughs> You say obviously as if everyone does that. I never do that. My characters in games always look spectacular because that's because the because I am a bit of a clown in real life. So therefore, my fantasy is to look suave as fuck while I frame a poor innocent waitress um, for again the murder of dozens of people <laughs> if you in a game give me a hat that makes me invincible but it doesn't match my top i, I will not wear it no. <laughs> but we do have to accept that there are people there are enough people out there who'd find joy in that that it's worth including yeah. so there are going to be people who are like i here's my holodeck right it's my time off right i'm a i'm a bridge officer right so yeah. but i'm one of the lesser ones i'm one of the night shift ones so I get like a fully deserved. I'll get. I get a full day off, right? A twenty-four hours. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna get drunk. Um, I'm gonna go and play some sports. Uh, I'm gonna eat some food, and I'm gonna go and do a weird holiday thing, non-sexual. But what I like to do is dress up in a full gimp suit <laughs> and play um, a game set in the trenches of World War One. I did used to do that in GTA San Andreas. Not in GTA San Andreas. I, I reached a point where I'd done everything in the game and I had all of the outfits unlocked. So my character went around on a full gimp suit and a red beret. <laughs> <laughs> and the only weapon I would use was the massive black rubber cock that you yeah. can beat people to death with. Yeah. Uh, uh, that and the fastest motorbike in the game. That was my MO. I'd just arrive out of nowhere, batter people, and speed off into the distance. Yeah, because here's the thing about holidays, right? There's If you if you build a thing that's only, literally, it's only use in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things is to make people's fantasies come to life. Why the fuck yeah. would you put restrictions on it apart from the restrictions... The bullets in here aren't real. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's be honest, right? We're lucky. They're very, very lucky that Picard happens to be into like 1940s pulp detective like genre. Because uh, could you imagine how badly this episode would have gone if Picard was a big fan of H.P. Lovecraft? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down. Um, it's weird that Picard is such a huge fan of the 1940s, considering what was happening in France at the time. <laughs> Um, I want to shout as well um, in the holodeck, right? Because I did have a. Uh, this is a serious point I want to raise, right? Why are none of these characters being played by famous actors? Yeah, because <laughs> I was like, there's a mob boss in this at one point, and all I could think was like, well, if I was making this, I'd have that as Brando. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dick Miller is the newsstand guy. Yeah, he was. Yeah. With, yeah. I, I, if you're not familiar with Dick Miller, uh, 
check him out in the fantastic movie Chopping Mall, which is about what happens if robots that are in charge of security of a mall become murderous. <laughs> or you can also check him out in Gremlins oh, and yeah. Gremlins 2. Um, if, if you want to see what happens in a very positive way, what happens if a studio does not give a fuck about what a sequel should be and you leave it completely up to the director of the original and you and you get a goddamn masterpiece uh, I, I once uh, he turned, he's been put in the bin now but I once heard Max Landis describe it as like somebody went to him and said can you make a comedy version of Gremlins but Gremlins is already a comedy <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, that's perfect right so right so um, sorry go on this is the second episode on the bounce where there's something really important to do and Picard fucks it off for personal right <laughs> after Picard has checked out the holiday for the first time he then we then cut to a bit where he's in like that conference room that they've got and he's explaining in detail he's basically talking like I talked to people after I'd first played GTA 4 yeah <laughs> he's like he's acting like I am when a new Elder Scrolls comes out and he's like just, oh my god it's amazing and only after he's been doing this for about three minutes this is like Riker be like this is a business meeting. <laughs> like, we've got actual work to do. No, see, I, I, I took something different from it because Picard comes back and he still has the lipstick on his face. And the holodeck improvements have only just been made, so presumably he's one of the first people who gets to use them. So yeah. he comes back to the conference room, calls in the entire bridge crew, <laughs> um, and he's like, this holodeck thing is amazing. Like, it's so, it's so good, and it feels... It feels so good, and it's like, right, one, every single other person in that room is using the holodeck for one thing and one thing alone. <laughs> um, and does that mean that people think that Picard is going to come back to report all of his wanks to the entire bridge crew? Um, <laughs> and two, Riker, Riker is sitting there the whole time... Riker is sitting there the whole time with his feet up on the board as if he's watching two scantily clad women playing the harp. <laughs> and it's only when Beverly Crusher like comments on the lipstick and Picard says, it feels real. And Riker sits forward in his chair almost like, go on. <laughs> I I feel, I want to I point out, like, so during, like, people who get... The, the people are trapped on the um, holodeck isn't everyone. Riker's not on there. So Riker's in charge of the ship while they're trapped on. And I want to point out how bad the quality of Riker's captaining is. <laughs> For example, he arrives at them trying to fix the holodeck. And the order that he gives is, fix it. <laughs> which, they are, which they are already doing. No. My favourite <laughs> bit of captaining um, is, is, is when he walks into the room. And Wesley Crusher, the best engineer on the fucking Enterprise, is already doing stuff. And so he says, <laughs> Riker says, have you tried the intercom? Wesley replies, yes. And then Riker immediately walks over to the intercom, presses the button and says, <laughs> Riker to Holodeck. <laughs> why, why the constant dunking on Wesley? Like... <laughs> He no okay, spoilers. Wesley's the one who solves this problem later. Yeah, yeah. Just like, I'm going, really. Oh, okay. Well, can I ask how angry you would be 
if you got shot on board the Enterprise in front of the chief medical officer <laughs> and her response was to clap. <laughs> <laughs> and again, as, we, as far as we're aware from the last episode, she is the only doctor <laughs> on that ship. Oh, okay. Sorry, there's something else about the holodeck that there's that fucking infuriate me. Uh, Wesley's worried about doing the thing he needs to do because if it work, if it works, it could just abort the program, and then everybody in the holodeck would disappear. Which again, yeah. cannot possibly be. Why wouldn't he just turn <laughs> off around them? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I have some notes about how the holodeck works. And... <laughs> Badly. <laughs> one of them right so i was talking to laura about this and i was like look let let's get down to brass tags here 99 percent of the people on that ship are using that holodeck for wanking purposes right yeah now here's the thing we are showing multiple times that there is no lock on the holodeck door that you can just walk in whenever you want and in, and find whatever that person is up to right whatever depraved madness Jordy is doing that day, you are right there front and centre, right? Two, there also seems to be some kind of viewing apparatus so (laughs) you could conceivably have someone come along and look into there and just be like, what is this person into? I'm going to check out. They didn't even know I was here. So, my question is is there a button that you can press on the inside of the holodeck that maybe has a light come on on the outside (laughs) that is just like (laughs) Look, don't check this unless un, unless unless it is a life or death situation. Please do not look in here for the next twenty minutes. So it's early days of having the holodeck, so I don't reckon they have that now. But yeah. I reckon that will be installed at some point, and it will just be called the Riker Light. <laughs> <laughs> if if they have like a monthly meeting to decide how to improve the holodeck, that will be. That will be point number one at the first meeting. Because I, I, I actually have something of a solution to this, right? So... Yeah. Um, you just put a wall in front of the door. No, I've thought about it even <laughs> further, right? Because I, I, I'm really frightened for people to walk in on what I really like. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, like right. if I'm given the opportunity to make my deepest, darkest, weirdest, most depraved fantasies come to life... I, I'm doing it, right? Yeah. So, here's the thing. I don't just want you to be able to walk into it like when Riker was in the sad holodeck in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it like a multi-layered system. So, you know the way that you used to keep porn on your computer and you would put it into a folder called, like, backup drivers or something. <laughs> uh, and, and, you, and you would have it somewhere in, like, the C drive. Uh, so that no one could ever really accidentally come across it. Um, so I, <laughs> what I would do is, because you can program your own holodeck stuff, um, I would program it to look, when you walk in, and this is the exact way I would have it, uh, is I would have it as like an old-timey, not old-timey, but from like a 1980s New York motel, yeah. with like a really surly guy and just like a white vest and like pedo glasses and <laughs> and then there's like a blind guy is like sitting in the corner like reading a newspaper like what like this like the like the hotel the motel that the kurgan stays in in highlander right i'd have that 
as soon as you walk in, regardless of whether you're Riker or Captain Picard or some fucking lowly ensign, right? The motel <laughs> owner goes, what do you want? And then they say, we're looking for ensign Mark, ensign O'Neill. And he's like, right, hold on, I'll get him for you. And then he, he presses a button, right, that's like a bell. That five layers of rooms down, a light comes on. <laughs> it's like, all right, time to get redressed. Uh, you get up. Obviously, you can't get up. You've been shot in the head. Um, uh, and then it's 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 like it's like if you were smoking, and and you didn't want someone to, and then someone comes in the room and you have to do that thing to like wave away all the smoke. I'm waving away all of the dead hookers. Um, <laughs> just like, no, there's nothing to see here. There's <laughs> somebody leaning over your shoulder going, is that, is that, is that 1990s Angela Lansbury? Look, don't ask any questions about yeah, what I do yeah. with my spare hey. time. <laughs> I'm a bridge officer. I get a full day off. And because the, the thing is, right, this is, this because is, originally I thought about having it as quite like a nice thing, like a reception area where there's like a, a, a program that I have made who's like... No, you need it to be threatening so people stop. Yeah, he's doing something a bit sensitive at the moment. Can you give him like two and a half minutes? No, I want something that's going to make people get into an argument with this program. And, and then be like, why is the blind guy reading a newspaper? Um, and it, 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 that, that gives me enough time to, to delete what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Clear my whole deck search history. <laughs> Okay, this is, by the way, this entire episode could just be solved by beaming them out of the holodeck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, okay, two things we haven't discussed. One is how good Brent Spiner is in this episode doing 1940s data. Uh, like, he, he reads all of the books, turns up in costume, and starts frying around the lingo. And it's great. Yep. And also, I just want to spend a brief moment to discuss uh, how good Beverly Crusher looks. <laughs> in, uh, in 1940s detective noir outfit it's yeah it's but she's awakening is a noun that you could use to describe it or an, ad, an, ad, an adjective sorry here's an important question for you mark and it's one that i feel i need to bring up because uh Waylon gets shot <laughs> uh data goes to lunge at the bad guys and picard stops him and i have an important question is Data not bulletproof? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he is bulletproof. I think we we definitely see that he is. Yeah, he like crushes a gun with his bare hands in this episode. He's a lot of things proof. Yeah, he's yeah. proof of most things. Yeah. So let him just go over and kick the shit out of them. Yeah. <laughs> also, this this episode has my favourite line of dialogue for. Uh, of any bit of Star Trek we've watched so far, which is when the mob boss is saying killing for no reason is immoral, but killing for a purpose can quite often be ingenious. <laughs> which is just a great baddie line. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, so holographic cigarettes work like normal cigarettes. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, well, I, I think that's where the replicator comes in. But has anybody in Star Trek times, like, ever smoked a cigarette to check it's real? Because, like, if no, I'm assuming nobody smokes in the future. Yeah. 
So why wouldn't you just like have it so it acts like a cigarette? Like what I'm saying is I've, I've got problems with the holodeck working in the way it does, but I've also got problems with the approach to game design that's been employed. <laughs> yeah, because I, I guess there is a factor there of like if no one, because it's the, it, what is it, the 23rd century, the 24th century, yeah. right? So whatever time Star Trek happens, um, if no one smokes and they want to replicate a time period where everyone smoked, then... They're, they're, that's awful they're probably not gonna go well everyone smoked it even though they were disgusting because they were addictive they're gonna think people smoked these because they enjoyed it and yeah. as such we should the the ones that we replicate should be enjoyable but also as like somebody who is a gamer i've never gone i've never gone oh, okay red dead redemption absolutely flawless complete masterpiece from start to finish but i couldn't help but noticing that when Arthur Morgan used his chewing tobacco, I didn't get cancer. Too <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a fair point. Um, <laughs> I like as well that this is all clearly shot on the Universal backlot. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's 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 textbook. Whatever you're thinking of like for 1940s San Francisco is it, it's exactly what you're thinking of because it's filmed in the same place that all of the movies that are filmed there are. It, <laughs> it was funny how at the beginning uh, you said that this is kind of the first episode where Star Trek The Next Generation really steps into its own and it's a very quintessential episode. At the time I was reading, people uh, weren't as warm to this episode because they felt like it was too similar to a, an original series episode where they go back in time to 40s Chicago. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Which is fine. I was talking to Laura about this, and I said the, the holodeck is an incredible narrative uh, sort of plot point because you want to have the Star Trek crew go to different time periods because that's interesting, like seeing yeah. how they interact with what we understand to be either modern day or at least the very recent past like we know how the people in that time period will operate to an extent so it's interesting to see these people that have completely different values going back and interacting with them yeah. now the problem with time travel episodes is that if you have let's say a 45 minute script uh mm. at least 15 minutes of that has to be devoted to why are we time traveling how do we time travel and how do we go about getting back? Because if it was easy to get back, we would just do it. So that's quite a lot of wasted time, whereas I feel like the holodeck was brought in so that they could be like, we're going back in time to Aztec times and we're doing it in the holodeck. And, yeah. oh, there was a space lightning and now they're stuck there. Yeah. Great, well, grand. You say, you say that, Mark, but the specific episode of the, of the original series that you're talking about, how they go back in time is... Um, uh, McCoy accidentally injects himself with something because the ship gets hit. He goes insane, beams himself down to a planet. There's a big stone donut, and he jumps through it. And he goes back in time, uh, uh, and that is the, that is the episode where Kirk goes back in time as well through the time donut. And they arrive. Him and Spock arrive like weeks before um, McCoy. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. And, uh, Kirk meets this woman and falls in love with her, and then finds out that. If he saves her from getting run over, if he, he has to stop McCoy from saving her from getting run over, because if she doesn't get run over, Hitler wins the war. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I forgot that. I forgot that detail. Um, so, I I think that this <clears throat> this episode certainly has some interesting ideas, and yeah. it has Star Trek level ideas. The only problem is that every single idea that gets brought up in this episode, I actually haven't seen a lot of Next Generation but I have seen some of the more famous episodes and yeah. I know for a fact that every single, like the point of like, what if a holographic, what if a hologram, a holodeck entity became self-aware is yeah. explored for a full episode. Much better in a, in a later episode. Yeah, and like I was saying this to Emma, Emma was watching this with me and I was saying it to uh, like she was like, I thought start, you guys all liked this. And I was like, no, this is still bad at this point. But um, and it's the bit where he's talking to so there's a cop in the story who's like friends with Picard's character of Dixon Hill, and at the end of it he does the whole so if you leave the holodeck do I cease to exist? Mm. And it's two lines of dialogue, and he's like, well yeah, and he's like, well I guess this is the big goodbye, and it's that's it. And I was like, ah, they said the name of the episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but like that's two lines of dialogue in this, and in like season seven. That's an entire episode of Star Trek. Yeah. Which is like, well, now this is a sentient being. Can we ever turn off the holodeck? <laughs> is like, there's, this is literally, there are seasons of Voyager devoted to this as a concept. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like an entire, it's one character's entire existence and arc. It's through, yeah. Like the, I mean, it's no, it's no mistake that measure of a man which we obviously we will still bring up in every episode, even after we get to that episode. There's yeah. a reason that Measure of a Man is considered to be the greatest Star Trek: The Next Generation episode, and it's because it really it, it focuses on that incredible. So the original Star Trek kind of the theme is about acceptance and exploration and 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 kind of grooviness and and all that stuff, but Star Trek: The Next Generation quite obviously is about um how do we deal with life that isn't us and yeah, it, it does what great science fiction does which is it uh, it allows you to ask deep questions about what it means to be human yeah. by introducing a fictional control group yeah to your, like you can talk about like you can go well is data, is data alive does data count as alive what does he have that doesn't count as alive what is the argument for him not being what is the argument for him being is he a person is he property what specific spe specific qualities make you a person and him not mm -hmm. you know it's yeah it's but yeah this is and like i say it, there's loads of little bits in here but i would like to say one thing i do want to talk about is that um if the holodeck is the future of gaming uh i'm glad that gaming um at least from a business perspective, is significantly better in the future. Because at no point in this was uh, Picard offered like that he could get greater XP if he bought a booster pack. <laughs> uh, there's local multi multiplayer, not just online. Um, <laughs> it didn't, didn't require multiple licenses. Um, and at no point was the did anybody in the rest of his team start throwing out racial slurs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh. Um, so just for some random bits of trivia, um, yeah. this episode won the George Foster Peabody Award for excellence in television broadcasting. This episode was in fact the first hour-long drama uh, to win a Peabody Award. 
in that category. Oh. And now I'm going to look up what the fuck a Peabody Award is. Uh, yeah, that's, I think that's journalism. Oh. Journalism, there's a, like a newspaper called the Peabody, um, which I know because I saw it in the background of a Tom Cruise movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was The Firm. <laughs> the most powerful, enlightening, and invigorating stories in television, radio, and online media. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just sort of a, that, yeah, that was good. That was interesting. I would. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get one one day. It's a cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> what for our interesting idea of being moderately funny talking about other people's better ideas? <laughs> no, I think what they'll be really impressed is is the conceit that we are on the whole the ten oh, yeah. which is something yeah. that we continually drop. Um, <laughs> and, and I feel like as this show goes forward and finds its voice, I feel like one of the ways that that's going to be the like, I feel like one of the ways this show is going to find its voice is us leaning into that idea. The big plot reveal at the end of season one is it's going to turn out that instead of us being in ten forward, we're on the holodeck in a <laughs> because we couldn't get a table in ten forward. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, uh, well, that's pretty much it for me, and I'm, I'm going to. I need to run to the bathroom. So, yeah. Anything else uh, to wrap up? Uh, I've got yeah, not a lot with it. Oh, the only thing that I will say is when the two bad guys leave the holodeck briefly, which again they should not be able to do. Um, there is a moment where. The mob boss says, well, "Quiet, Jesse. Sorry, that's my dog." There's a moment where the mob boss says, "It's a whole new world for us to be." And I was so hoping they were about to bust into the song from Aladdin. <laughs> Could that's... you go into a Disney cartoon? I don't Could know. Could you make the holodeck make you look like? Um. Yeah. yeah. Because they, because well, they, this is another thing that I read about the production is that originally the director wanted this. I think it was a director. I don't know. He can he can at me on fucking Twitter if this isn't true. Um, but someone involved at that level wanted the 1940s scenes to be in black and white. Oh. And Rick and Rick Berman uh, came out and said no because the holodeck shouldn't be able to change the crew's appearance. So it wouldn't be able to make you look like a cartoon. You would just have to interact with cartoons. Right, okay. But he but he completely drops that conceit because it happens in Voyager. Yeah, but, that, well, yeah, okay. the idea, Voyager's a more advanced ship. Oh, okay, fair play. Okay. Yeah, anyway, that was us talking about, well, okay, let's be honest, mainly Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, we'll see you next week for Data's Evil Twin. See you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.